an Orthodox Jewish rabbi, an Arab priest, and a Puerto Rican preacher walk into a church. That is not the beginning of a joke. That is your reality this morning. Today I have the honor and the privilege of introducing most of you in our online campus this morning to two very dear friends. One is Pastor Stephen Corey, who you'll hear from in a moment, and you'll watch a video uh, that speaks of the work that he's involved in. But Pastor Stephen Corey comes all the way from Bethlehem, Israel, not Bethlehem, Pennsylvania, Bethlehem, Israel, where he pastors a wonderful church there in Bethlehem, uh, leading that community to encounters with Jesus and doing a tremendous work. In fact, for the last couple of years, this church has been given, giving to a, a ministry called Blessing Bethlehem. And in fact, this Christmas, our, a portion of our Christmas offering this year is once again going to go towards Blessing Bethlehem. And this is actually Pastor Stephen's church and community. Those dollars that we've been sending have been directly serving and blessing our Christian brothers and sisters, our Arab Christian brothers and sisters in Bethlehem, and you'll get to hear from their pastor, Pastor Stephen Corey, in just a moment. I also have a very dear friend who I, I truly love very much, and his name is Rabbi Pesach Wilicki. Rabbi is an Orthodox Jewish rabbi, and Rabbi is the associate director at the Christian at the Center for Jewish-Christian Understanding and Cooperation, the CJCUC. And it is through that organization that we've been giving the offering for Blessing Bethlehem, and in turn, they take it to Bethlehem where they purchase groceries for the families there. It's an incredible day that we live in. And so Rabbi Wilicki is going to come up first here in a moment and share and share his heart with you, and share this partnership, and talk a little bit. But I want you to know that at the end of our time together, at the end of this service, both Rabbi Wilicki and Pastor Corey are going to be out in the lobby at the tables where they each have a book that they will sign for you. They'd love to meet you. You could pick up uh, Pastor Corey's newsletter of what's happening in the church there in Bethlehem and in Jerusalem and uh, throughout Israel. But Rabbi's book, Cup of Salvation, is a book that was written on a number of chapters from the book of Psalms. And so if those of you that are students of God's Word, and that's all of us here at Victory Christian Center, if you want to go deeper in God's Word, especially looking at the Hebrew Word and the understanding of the, the roots of those Scriptures, you'll want to pick up Rabbi's book, Cup of Salvation, for $20 today. Now, he's not pocketing those $20 He's going to take that $20 that you gave for that book, and he's sending that $20 for blessing Bethlehem. So how amazing is that? You can give $20, get the book, and that those dollars are going to be, he's going to turn those in to bless our, our Christian Arab brothers and sisters in Bethlehem. Isn't that an amazing deal? And so you'll want to get a copy of Cup of Salvation and also Pastor Stephen's book. 
But listen, today, this morning, we're going to hear from Pastor Wilicki first, and then there'll be a video, and then Pastor Corey will come up. But I want us to give a very warm Victory Christian Center welcome to Rabbi Pesach Wilicki. Come, my friend. We love you. Good morning. Good morning. It's great to get a standing ovation before I say anything. My wife will ask me, how did it go? Well, I got a standing ovation. And thank you, uh, thank you, my dear friend, Pastor Juan, for calling me pastor. Uh, there was one church where I was introduced as Bishop Willicky. That was a treat. <laughs> thank you. Uh, who's here for your first time? Who's in this church for your first time this morning? Oh, Come back next week. Everything will be back to normal. You didn't think you were showing up to be a rabbi speaking this morning, right? How was church? Well, and, and Pastor Juan, I love that line, praise goes up, God comes down. Never heard that before. That's a beautiful line. You know, it reminded me, I'm going to add something in I didn't say this morning in the first service, so you guys get a treat. Um, when, when Jacob is lying on the ground and he has a dream of the ladder, you know the famous dream of the ladder? So the verse, when it describes the ladder, there were angels on the ladder, right? You ever notice that, the, that the, it, it doesn't say they were descending and ascending. It says they were going up and coming down. Wouldn't you think that angels would first come down and then go up? Why does it say they're going up and coming down? So our, our Jewish tradition teaches that angels are spiritual energy. They're the way that we, they're the messengers of the spirit. And... There's God, and then there's people, and we're the image of God. We have angels, too. And our tradition teaches that, the, that we send angels up, and God sends angels down. So praise goes up, and God comes down. Anyway, I love that line. That's beautiful. See, the rabbi learned something in church on a Sunday morning. How about that? Just don't tell my grandparents. I'd like to share a, a, a scripture with you and then speak a little bit about this, uh, this sacred partnership. Right there in the beginning of the Bible in Genesis, the first family of humanity commits two very grave sins right at the beginning. First, of course, is the sin of Adam and Eve eating from the tree that they were commanded not to eat from. And then the second grave sin is the sin of Cain murdering his brother Abel. And those two sins share a very interesting characteristic. It's unique to these two sins in Scripture. Immediately after these two sins are committed, the Lord turns to the sinner and asks a question. After Adam eats from the tree, God says to him, Where are you? And after Cain kills his brother Abel, God asks him, Where is your brother? Where are you? Where is your brother? The sin of eating from the tree was a sin against God. No one was hurt. 
God commanded not to do it. And God's question to Adam was, where are you in the relationship with me? Where do you stand before me? Where are you? Why are you not where you're supposed to be? Like when one of my kids is, home, is out late and I call them up and I say, where are you? I don't really care where they are. I want to know why they're not where they're supposed to be. So God turns to Adam and says, where are you? And when Cain kills Abel, and Cain was filled with all sorts of arrogant thoughts about what should have happened when he brought his offering, eventually leading to him killing his brother, God says to him, where is your brother? Why didn't you see him where he is for what he is, for who he is? And my friends, every morning, we are asked these two questions. Scripture opens with these two questions because Scripture is the book that's teaching us all how to have the right relationship to God and the right relationship to our fellow man. And every morning we are asked these two questions. Every day we have to answer these two questions. Where are you? Where is your brother? Where are you in your personal relationship to the Lord? And we put a lot of energy into that personal relationship, our prayer life, concern for our own moral standing in the face of God, and that's good. And sometimes we can get so wrapped up in that personal relationship with the Lord that we don't see other people. So the Lord turns to us and says, where's your brother? I had a where's your brother moment, a big one, in the fall of 2015. I was a few months into my work building bridges between the Jewish and Christian communities, representing the Jewish community, speaking to Christian groups, visiting Israel, speaking in churches, as I do. And I was sent by the office to go speak to a group of Christian leaders who had come to Israel. One evening, I was told I would be one of a number of speakers. I was told what to prepare, and I went. And one of the other speakers that evening was Pastor Naim Khoury, Pastor Stephen's father, the founder and leader of the church in Bethlehem, the church in East Jerusalem, and other churches they have in the Palestinian Arab territories. And he spoke of his community, a community of Christians, Christian Arabs, who are subject to discrimination and persecution at the hands of those around them. He spoke of a church where over 65% of the, of the members of the church are unemployed, much of it due to this discrimination. He spoke of the hardship that they went through. He spoke of his brother getting murdered for his Christian faith. He spoke of himself getting shot four times, of a church that had been bombed more than a dozen times in the land, and why are they so persecuted? Because their faith, their Christianity, includes love of us. And I said to myself, where's my brother? When Moses told the people of Israel, when you go into the land, you must love the others that are there, those who are not part of Israel, who live there in peace and want to live there in peace with you, you must love the stranger in the land, the other 
he wasn't just talking to the people of Israel 3,300 years ago. Like every word in Scripture, he's talking to me. And here I am, a proud Jew who has come from the exile after 2,000 years of our dispersion and is back in the restored land of Israel, the restored people of Israel in our land. And with that covenantal blessing of return to the land comes the covenantal responsibility to love those who want to love us and live in peace. Whose responsibility is it to care for Pastor Khoury and his church, if not mine? So I went back to the office, and as a result of all of this, this fire that had been lit in me, we founded Blessing Bethlehem, a project that's very simple. And this church knows all about it. This church is one of the first churches to get on board, and you've been with us almost since the beginning. And we have been delivering over 150 packages every Wednesday night at the midweek service in Bethlehem. These families receive food to put on the table from your generosity in partnership with the Jewish organization. This is real peace. I went to the Christmas party of the church in Bethlehem a few months after we started the project. Pastor Corey invited me. So the rabbi goes to the Christmas party in Bethlehem. Now, 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 now. I'm still Jewish. Don't get your hopes up. I can make a joke, right? And I went to the Christmas party, and after making sure that, there was, that everything was safe, because it's illegal for me to go into Palestinian territory, but I did, it, I did so anyway. I spoke to the people of, the, of this community, and I told them what their strength means to me, what their faith means to me. And I reminded them that this is real peace. Real peace is not negotiated by politicians. Real peace is when people who worship the same God love and care for each other. And one of the pastors in the church, Pastor Ziad, took me around. I don't speak Arabic, so he was translating for me. And we went, there were 600 people in the room or more, and we went table by table. I met the families in the church, hugged them, shook their hands. We looked each other in the eye, and for many of them, it was the first time they had met a, a Jew, an Israeli, who wasn't a soldier at a checkpoint. It was someone who loved them. They knew about this rabbi who was visiting churches and visiting Jewish communities and raising funds to help them put food on the table. And, and the hearts were changing. The bond was being built. So it's not just food that you're helping us with. It's building the kingdom of God. My friends, you've been with us. I know you're going to be with us. Sometimes we come to church and we learn and we work on, our, on where we are in our relationship, in our private relationship. And some days it's about the kingdom. Where are you? And where is your brother? I'm going to turn things over to my brother, Pastor Stephen Curry, who's going to come up and share with you now. Thank you, and God bless you.
1987. The first intifada. Christians leave the West Bank in record number after surviving the Palestinian uprising against Israel. Once, Bethlehem was 80% Christian, but three out of four Christians have evacuated. Bethlehem is now 80% Muslim. Pastor Stephen Curry was raised in Bethlehem. There, he and his father created Holy Land Missions, a ministry that has flourished for over 36 years inside Muslim and Israeli territory. They chose to stay and preach the gospel in a time when others chose to flee. Jim Dow, the president of Voice of the Martyrs, said Stephen Curry has a fearless determination to share the gospel anywhere, without reservation. Amidst firebombings, shootings, public beatings, and discrimination, Pastor Stephen has continued to minister in the West Bank. He frequently appears on TV to tell his story of how an Arab can share the love of Jesus with Jews and Muslims alike. God has given Pastor Stephen the assignment of encouraging Christians around the world to be bold and courageous, to reach out to the Muslim community with the truth of the gospel. Amen. Good afternoon. Thank you so much. Hallelujah. God bless you. Hallelujah. We worship a risen Savior. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Ron. I, I love saying that because it's true. Um, and because he lives, because he's risen, because he's alive, so must we. Amen. Uh, the tomb is empty. That's what sets us apart from other faith, other religions that... Our God is a God that does what he, 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 he does what he says, and he means what he says, says what he means. And, and he does it. That's the kind of God we have. You know, um, Rabbi Willicke, you were talking about the Cain and Abel scenario, and I, I love it because Cain was given another chance to make a difference. But yet, he still chose to fall under the flesh and take things in his own hands. And how many times as human beings do we do that? God gives us opportunity after opportunity to change. But yet we continue, we continue making the same decisions. Today, I'm asking the Holy Spirit. I'm asking God, and I've been asking Him, that you walk out of these doors today never the same. In fact, by the end of the service, I'm asking God to do something in Youngstown. Uh, that you'll start getting text messages on your phone. You'll some sometime sometime in the next 24 hours, or something big will happen in Youngstown um, that that you will start to rejoice about. Amen. Uh, I'm believing that right now for it. <clears throat> let's pray and let's go to the Lord one more time, <clears throat> asking Him to go before us. Heavenly Father, we come before you right now. In the grace of Jesus Christ. Lord, we come into your presence, not of our own power or parishion. We come into your presence, built on your solid rock. Lord, I ask you to release your angels upon the sanctuary, upon the church, upon the compound, upon the campuses of Victory Christian. I pray in your name, Lord, that you would command your angels to stand as guards around us here. Send guards around every church in victory and others that are preaching the word of truth. 
upon, upon this fact of preaching the truth. Lord, I ask that you release your angels to stand around in Youngstown. The Lord that we see, hear, feel, touch your presence in Youngstown today. I pray, Lord, for something big to break through. And I command, Lord, that uh, you would release your angels upon this city to bless it with finance, to bless it with, with peace and love and rejoice. I pray we break free for the city from any a spirit of addiction in Jesus' name. Lord, we, we, we declare the city to be a city on a hill that cannot be shut down or destroyed. Lord, I pray right now, we ask all this in your name. Lord, I pray that those sitting here, those who are watching, I pray, Lord, I release the angels upon them. That as they get this message, Lord, that they would get it. And they would know what they need to do to be able to walk in your presence on a daily basis. Seal everything I've said, Lord, in your blood. So we release the blessings that are coming. We say thank you in advance. In Jesus' name, amen. You know what's, um, hallelujah. What's, what's so beautiful about this is that I'm able to, to talk about my friendship with my uh, Jewish uh, brother, Rabbi Wolicki. And even, even my friendship and partnership with, with the Rabbi Ruskin, who, who had a vision in his heart to, to, to see this come to fruition. And he handed the mantle to David Nukertman. And now he's brought amazing godly men of Rabbi Wolicki. But this is only one part of it. The other part is Pastor Juan and Bishop Thomas and the leadership team here who you guys believed in this. Pastor Juan, thank you and your family and, and just the leadership team for standing with us. It means a lot to us. It really does. It's true. Jewish Orthodox organization is weekly, monthly helping suffering Arab Christians. Note that down. Uh, it goes against what you hear on the TV and the media. The Arabs hate the Jews, or the Jews hate the Arabs. There are, they are, they are, they are some that don't like to see this happen, but they are godly, good people that are what Papa calls blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. And that sons includes daughters as well, by the way. And in, in this realm of me speaking today, I... I give God the glory because I, I'm here all the way from the beloved city of Jerusalem. I'm here to tell you that uh, the, the Almighty One loves you. I'm here to tell you that God cares for you. I'm here to tell you that, that, that you're in His plan. I'm here all the way from His beloved city to tell you, to let you know that the creator of this universe, He loves you. I'm here to encourage you to keep on going on. Do not give up. Whatever you're going through right now, it doesn't matter. You stand your ground. You get on your knees. Don't give up. Because the God that we have is a God of hope. It is not a bumper sticker. Now, I'm, I'm going I'm to share you with you some stories of some of the amazing experience I've been able to experience in seeing the presence of God in my life. Um, but I do want to today, Rabbi and, I, Rabbi and I do want to walk away here today with shaking many of your hands and signing many of your books. And So come out to the back table there. We'd love to shake your hand. Um, come out there, grab a copy of, of Rabbi Willicke's book and my book, and do me the honor of 
uh, 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 not having an Arab with black duffel bags go through airports. Um, relieve, me of, <laughs> relieve me of my books, please. Um, it's not a fun thing for an Arab to go through airports with duffel bags. It's not the easiest. I get a lot of looks, by the way. Um, so uh, uh, please, uh, uh, release me of these books. Um, it's for suggested donations out there. Do the same for Rabbi Waliki as well. Come out there, and it's, 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 you'll bless the ministry out there. I, I, I urge you to do that. I was born in Jerusalem. I grew up in the city of Bethlehem. I tell people as, I, as far as I consciously, cognitively can go back in my recollection, there's not a single day in my life of, I cannot remember a single day of my life of world peace. I go to school as a young boy, Arab boy, born in Jerusalem, went to school till fifth grade in Bethlehem, learning Islam and, and so forth. And of course, I, then I went to, to school in eastern part of Jerusalem, Beit Hanina, which is an Arab town. And I went to these uh, Arab schools, and, and uh, sometimes when I go to school from Bethlehem to Jerusalem, it was about an hour and 20-minute ride with all the checkpoints and traffic and everything. And sometimes we get stuck in the middle of the road, and there were suicide bombings. So we'd have to get off the bus, and when we get off the bus uh, uh, to walk, we'd have to step over body parts from a suicide bombing. That was an average, that was an average uh, Sunday, average uh, day for many days going to school growing up. So I did not have the most normal childhood. Seeing these things, bloodshed, turmoil, and war, it does something to a human being. To me, what it did is it made me realize how short life is. <clears throat> Everywhere I go, I challenge people around the world to live life to the fullest. Honoring God first and honoring those whom you love next because you can be here one moment and you can be gone the next. That's the reality of the life that we live today. And, you know, it's, uh, it's interesting because I, I grew up in a, in, in a society in Bethlehem where my father was uh, the founder and the pastor of the church in Bethlehem there. And I grew up under his leadership, myself and many other young leaders and one young pastors throughout the country of Israel right now who grew up under the leadership of, of my father. And um, so he was a very strong evangelist. He was not ashamed of Jesus Christ. Nor was he ashamed of teaching love for our neighbors, which are the Jewish people. And for that, we paid a big price. We, we, we'd go to church growing up, and, and we'd be sitting in a church setting, and people come in the back doors with Molotov bombs in their hands. They throw Molotov bombs in the church pews. And for many Sundays here in the 80s and the 90s, you come to our church, you see buckets of water in the sanctuary, and, uh, you know, they come in, throw the Molotov bombs, they'd run off, and fires would be lit up on the sanctuary. So our ushers would get the buckets, turn off the fire, get back to worship the Lord like nothing ever happened. So we have a pastor, we have a dual, dual job description for our ushers. They're firemen and they greet people at the same time. <clears throat> so those of you who are uh, ushers, yeah, you are uh, a little bit different job description. It's, it, yes, many Christians got scared and stopped coming and they eventually come back again. But that was an average Sunday for us. You go to church and most probably you're going to catch, you see a fire within the church sanctuary. There'd be days where church members walk out the church doors and rocks and stones would come flying on people's heads. And I remember um, there were days where the, younger, the young men in the church, the, you know, the young adult men in the church would stand around the families. They would walk around them out from the church doors into the church vats while we're loading them and while rocks and stones are flying over the church men. The next Sunday, we would normally know who was there the Sunday before because we'd see, we'd see gauze and stitches on people's foreheads. That was an average Sunday for us for many, 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 many months to go. And um, Muslims freely pray five times a day. They're freely, they pray five times a day over loud, loud speakers. And during those days, sometimes the speakers would get louder than normal on our service days. 
my father got so frustrated. So, you know, he's also Middle Eastern, you know, he's, he's hot-blooded and hot-blooded. And, and so he got, got very angry, very frustrated with it. I remember I was maybe 14, 15 at that time. And, and I remember I was walking towards our church sanctuary in Bethlehem. It was a big steeple. You, you saw that video. There's a picture of the church steeple and the cross. And I walk up, I walk towards the building. I'm on the main street. And I, I see my father up playing with, playing with some wires with an electrician. So I'm in the main street. I shout. I said, Dad, what are you doing up there? And I'll never forget this. He has cables in his left hand. He leans over the little ledge there on the top cliff. He says, you'll see on Sunday. <laughs> Sunday gets behind the pulpit. We had at that time big wooden pulpit. And um, they, they had wires hanging down. And the wires went to the bottom of the, of the pulpit. And there was like a red, big old red button there. And began to preach. 10, 15 minutes into the message, something is out of the norm. No rocks, no stones, something's not normal. So I was very curious. I stood up. I, I heard a lot of commotion outside. It's usually fights or breaking out or somebody trying to attack the church. It's one of those things. So this time I walked out of the church doors. You know, nobody's outside. There's no rocks, no stones flying out. Something, but I hear a lot of noise in the street. So I walked out and walked up the little hill of our church. And, and for, the, for the life of me, there's... You know, 20, 30, 40. However, there's Arab Muslims and non-Muslims in the streets. They're, and they're sitting in their cars. They're sitting on the floor and the, on the curbside. And they're listening to my father's sermon outside the church walls. How is that possible with our fire, fireproof, bulletproof walls? You know what's coming. Well, you know, the, 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 the day before, my father was up on the steeple uh, playing with some wires. And, you know, right before he preached, I said earlier that he reached his hand, he, he, pressed, he pressed a button. Well, that button went to the other end of the cables, the wires were on the top of the steeple. And the other end of the wires were three loud, all-weatherproof German speakers. When he pressed that button, that sermon went to, uh, to a mile-plus radius all over the mountains of Bethlehem. That day, whether you like it or not, you're stuck with a 45-minute sermon. And it went literally in your living room. In your shower, in your, if you're sleeping in bed, church is in your ears. Actually, it brought a lot of people into church because they said, we can't sleep, might as well go to church. But also angered a lot of people who are from the other side of, of the faith, who are uh, more on, on the fanatical extremist of the, of, of the Muslim side of things. They got angry. How dare we um, preach the gospel on loudspeakers about them? Only Muslims should do that. I remember my father... For weeks and weeks, Muslim leaders who were good friends with my father. We have very good friends. We have to have respect always. We gotta, you gotta love others, and you gotta, you, you have disagreements, but you gotta love them and, and see them for what they could be, rather than what they are at that moment. They would come to my father and say, Pastor Naim, uh, Bishop Naim, why are you causing problems? Why are you rocking the boat? My father would say, Everybody's got something to say. Everybody's got a philosophy nowadays. So must we. The gospel of Jesus Christ must be worth taking risks for. And he, and that was, that was another journey. He took the, the, the movement that we have, which today has become the largest evangelical covenant, Arab covenant church, ever covered movement in the country today. Of preaching the gospel unashamedly, sharing who Jesus Christ is, all while at the same time, sharing the love of Jesus with, with others that don't believe what we do, or others that might disagree with what we believe in. I always tell people, if you don't find anything worth dying for, what's worth the living? You have to find something worth dying for. Something that just gets you up in the morning 
And you say, regardless what, I, what happens around me, as long as I have this in my life, I'm working for it, I'm, I'm building it, I'm honoring God for a reason. You are not placed on this earth to just consume air. You're placed on this earth for a big reason. You do not see yourself through the eyes of the lens of the world. You see yourself through the eyes of the lens of the Creator. Don't let nobody take that from you. Don't let nobody take that from you. You don't see yourself through the reflection of the brokenness in this world. This world's broken. And this world has no answers. I shared this in the first service. I had the honor to, and the privilege to meet a lot of unique people. I mean, talk about from leaders and presidents and prime ministers and kings. I, I have the honor to address them and speak to them. And I also get to speak to a lot of, you know, top-notch uh, scholars and Ivy League college universities. So I get to address them in Israel and speak to them on a regular basis. And it's so interesting because a lot of people, a lot of deep thinkers, intellectual people, they just go in circles. They don't have an answer. You, you know, you, you tell them, give me, give me what's one plus one, then they're afraid to give you an answer. Because they're afraid of the uncertainty. They're afraid of that, what it could be. But I'd rather, I, when I see a chair that can hold me, I'd rather, I want to sit in that chair. When I, when, when I sit down, I want to make sure that that chair can hold me up. And Christianity, the message of Jesus Christ, it holds you up. It stands by itself. It stands on its own. It's been proven through time. In recent last 14, 15 months, I've been had the honor um, to go in and to do teaching at, uh, uh, at one of the Bible Lands Museum in Jerusalem, and, which has allowed me access to go in the back area and meet some of these top people and be able to see some of the things in the back. I can't tell you everything that, that we see in the back area, this Bible Museum. But I'm telling you, there's more proof and evidence of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob exists than ever before. There's more existence of Jesus Christ existing than ever before. It stands by itself. And people today are risking their lives because of something that, that many times you take for granted. I remember I was around 16 years of age and a young Muslim came to us. He wanted to learn what is truth about God and what's the true uh, relationship with God. What does it look like? And I spent about two weeks with this young man. And after <clears throat> two weeks or so, he disappeared. What happened to him was his mother found his Arabic Bible. And she grabbed the Arabic Bible and she was very scared of what she saw him write in there. And his, uh, he woke up in the morning and his uncles were standing right above his bed. They unwinded the metal hangers and they began to beat him and lash him over and over and over and over again. Every five, six, seven hours they come into his room. They beat him up and they go and come back. And to them, they're just doing the right thing. They, 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 they believed that they're saving their son from being brainwashed into believing in Jesus. That's their, that's their realm of things. Christianity is a brainwashing thing. And, and if you're believing in Jesus, you become brainwashed. They poison you. They bewitched you. That's their, that's their narrative. That's, that's what they believe. And, and they beat him up for three days, you know, just trying to talk sense into him. Not one single time would he deny his love for Christ. It's so beautiful because he kept, he, what, he asked them, what he asked them is, give me something to equally replace the peace, the joy that I, find, that I found in Jesus. Until then, don't ask me to give up. The only thing is giving me hope. It's like, wow. What, what a rational, what a rational, just practical request. That's fine. I'll, I'll, I'll give up Jesus. Just give me something to equally... It gives me the hope that Jesus has given me. He saw Jesus in a way that others don't. And that carried him 
into something, into a new journey in life. Of course, we know they couldn't do that because there's nothing like Jesus. I, I, I'm, I'm proud to say that. There's nothing like Jesus. I've been around them all. I've seen what they have to offer. There's nothing like Jesus. Now, you, you cannot like a package that Jesus has packaged it in certain churches. But at the end of the day, he by himself, his integrity stands alone. Amen? He himself, he stands alone. And then he takes people on a journey. He uses leaders and pastors and evangelists and, and leaders. He uses you to, to bring people into his presence. Problem is, are you a part of that? Are you, gonna, are you swimming up the current or are you with the current? That's the question. It's not about you. It's about the kingdom of God. And, and this young man got that. I remember uh, I was walking down the church street towards our church in Bethlehem. And, and as I'm walking down the church street towards our church in Bethlehem, uh, you understand during those two weeks that, that, that we discipled, I, I was discipling him. I fell in love with his, with his heart. But when he disappeared, I didn't know what happened to him. It wasn't until later I found out he was being physically beaten. It wasn't until later I found that out. But during that time, I didn't. What happened was, I was walking down the church street. This is how I found out what happened. I was walking down the church street towards a church in Bethlehem. We call it the Mother Church because it's this church it birthed so many other ministries in, in, in the land. And that's the one Pastor Juan visited and him, him and his, his leadership team as well. And I remember um, somebody comes up to me and says, are you Stephen? I said, yes, I'm Stephen. In Arabic, they asked me. And I, and I said, yes, I'm Stephen. I felt something burning in the back of my head. I went like this thinking it's a bug or a fly. And I, and I, you know, scratched my head there. But it just, it, then I started to get a little dizzy. I didn't realize that that little itchiness there wasn't a bug or a fly. I realized that. I, it wasn't until a few seconds later I realized that somebody hit me in the back of my head. I went like this here and I realized my fingers were wet. And looked at this blood on the palm of my hand. And turned around. There's about five or six guys there with metal chains and thick wooden sticks in their hands. And they began to beat me to the ground over and over and over again. Call me names like infidel and traitor and proselytizer. And in the middle of that beating, I shouted that. I said, Lord, if you get me through this pain, I'll love you. I'll do more for you. At that moment, I tell people I realized that I had a heart of an evangelist because it rationally doesn't make sense. I'm telling them, get me out of this. I'll come back and do it again. But that's why I knew I had a heart of an evangelist. I knew that that's my passion. But in the middle of that beating, when I said, Lord, if you get me through this, I'll love you, I'll serve you more, I'll do more for you. I literally felt like a white blanket just, just I physically, literally saw a white blanket just drape over my body. And I was in his presence. And at that moment, I understood what the psalmist was saying. He said, even if I lay my bed in the pit of hell, thou art there with me also. I understood at that moment there's no place too low for the presence of God to reach me. There's no place too high where God's presence can't reach me either. I understood that the God that I serve is a covenant, promising, keeping God. And he says, I'll be there for you. I will never leave you. That's the kind of God that I have. And it doesn't matter who you are, how rich, how poor, how popular, unpopular. It doesn't matter whether you're a Gentile, you're a Jew. It doesn't matter what race, what creed you come from. His promise to stand strong and he is a covenant-keeping God. That's the kind of God that we have. And, you know, at that time I was going to school, like I said earlier, in Arabic schools where we taught we have two enemies, Satan and the, and the Jews. That's what we're brought up. These are the, in schools that's what we're brought up in. 
And we'd, we'd learn that God's washed his hands from the Jewish people. He's done with them. And I would go home and my mother would force us to get by our bedtime, bedside to read Bible. And she tells a Bible story. Even when we liked her, we didn't like it. We were tired. He should still tell us a Bible story. So good moms do. We might not know what's best for ourselves all the time as young, but, but we invest. And the Bible says, my word never returns void. You might see you, your family do stuff sometimes that breaks your heart, but you're, you believe that if you've done your part in investing and in sowing into their life, you know that it will not return void. Because it says, God says, God says, my word never turns void. If we're going to take him as his word, he's not, he's, he does not lie. If God says, if God says my word, never, then it doesn't return void. That's why today, whether you're going through in your marriage, whether you're a single mom or single dad, whether you go, you're going through a divorce or you have a healthy marriage relationship, whatever you're going through in your life right now, you have to, you have to, have to, have to do your part in investing in yourself, into learning the scriptures, reading the Bible, and then in pouring that, investing it into your children. Whether you get your children once a week, whether you get your children twice a week, whatever you have, whatever you have a good, healthy relationship, you have your, you have your children every day in the week. Invest time reading the Bible to them and, and, and teaching them the word. Because it says it never returns void, people. It's not the bumper sticker. It's not the motivational speech. It's, it's a reality. Our God is a God that says what he means. He means what he says. We take him in his word. It's not, it's not complicated. It's simple. It's simple. We just as human flesh, as human beings, we've complicated the word of God. Rather than taking at his word, we take it at our word and we begin to create our own little system in place. And that's where compromise comes in. In your own home, we compromise in our own life, in our own faith, in our own, in our own ecosystem. We begin to compromise the gospel. And I remember um, in that beating, it made me a better man. I tell people, I don't believe I would be the man I am today if it wasn't for that beating. It put my bar up so much higher. It's, it's everything else and all, all the other problems and beatings and attacks we've had. It, it became just a part of making me the man I am today. And, and, and the best scenario I love to give you quickly, the best scenario is to bring into, into, into fruition is to bring it out of Daniel chapter 3. And it's a beautiful scenario because we have in Daniel chapter 3 a king named King Nebuchadnezzar. King Nebuchadnezzar was a king that had many gods. He wanted to be on the good side of every god. He dedicates one day where every man, woman, child must bow down to every god that exists. And the Bible says that uh, he... he he hears about these three Jewish prophets. Their name is Mishach, Shadrach, and Abednego. And these three Jewish prophets refuse to bow down, so he calls them into his palace. And he deals with them very delicately because he knows these three Jewish prophets worship and serve the same God of Daniel. And we know the Daniel, the story where God sends the angels and shuts the mouth of the lions, and there's many other scenarios. So he knows that the God of Daniel is, is not a God to be messed with. So he deals with them very delicately. And he brings him to his palace and he says, why aren't you bowing down? Why, can't, why don't you be like everybody else? Why don't you just blend in? Does that sound familiar? So what the world wants you and I to do with our children, with our lives. Just, just don't, don't, don't. So don't say something out of Just blend in. God did not put you in this world to blend in. Put you in this world to make a difference. Place you in this world to, to help others become better human beings. He put you in this world to bring people into his kingdom. That's why God placed you on this earth. <clears throat> and I remember um, in this... As I'm, as I'm reading this, and I've had a lot of beautiful discussions with, with our Jewish brothers on this context. It's, it's, it's a rich, rich story because it has so many deep scenarios and deep stories and deep even analogies somebody can use. But it's so funny because he looks at these three men and, and he says, oh, just, just bow down, get on your knees. And they say, nope. We worship our allegiance, our heart, our desire, 
only the one, and that's the true living God. And we will not bow to any other God. And man, he gets angry. He says, I'm going to hurt you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kill you. And their response to him is, you do what you want. Our God will deliver us. Wow, so, so much faith. But yeah, being typical Israelite Jews, they push the envelope even further. They don't just stop at that. They push the envelope even further and say, you know what? Even if our God doesn't deliver us, we still will worship no other God but the one true living God. I call this blind faith. And blind faith angers the enemy. You know why, Pastor Juan? Because the enemy wants you and I to be predictable. And the enemy likes to hit us where it hurts. And he knows our weakness. He knows your weakness. And he likes to hit us in our weakness because we're, he, he likes to be predictable. But in our leadership, when we're unpredictable, we're just trusting God in blind faith and moving, moving with it. We're just saying, God, you, you've got the blueprint. Satan doesn't know what your plan is. Because your plan is God's plan. And that angers the enemy. And here, he's angry because he doesn't understand it. Wait, 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 wait. You're telling me you're, you're, you're going you're gonna to still stick to it because you, know you know and you trust he's going to deliver you. And on the other end, he said, even if there's a slight chance he doesn't, you're still, yes, that's true. Because we know even in that 1%, even if he doesn't, we know he's got a bigger plan. It's, he's confused. But his confusion is anger. And to, and, and to, to bring this to, to, a, 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 to, a sum, to, to summarize it, he says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hurt you. He calls his guards and says, heat up the fire seven times. Originally, that it was heated up. And, and, and the guards got scared because the Bible says the flames were so strong. The flames were so strong, it went out, it sucked people in and killed them. The irony is, the king doesn't know that seven is God's perfect number. And when they heated up the fire seven times, all they did is they perfected the place. They perfected a furnace for the presence of God to appear. And it's so unique because if, if, if I dare to, to make this analogy, if you allow your trial and tribulation that you're going through right now, whatever you're going through, whatever, whatever it is, you allow that to be your, your furnace of time where in your life you're going through, where you're just allowing God to form and shape and mold you, all in the trust that he will, He's always there, all in the trust that He'll never leave us nor forsake us, all in the trust that He never allows anything to happen in our lives that we cannot handle, on those three things, and many others, but those three basic things, then you, you just know that you know that He's going to get you through it. And in, 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 in that middle of the fiery furnace, you allow Him to be your righteousness. And I, he can write this now. It's hard to fall when you're on your knees. And you allow, it, allow the trials going through to get you to your knees where you can just draw closer to God. And he goes, it's, so, it's so neat because he sits back down. He throws these three men in and, and then he sits down and he looks in. And Bible says in Daniel chapter, he looks in and he says, he calls his counselors. He gets up and he gets closer to the edge of the fire. He looks in and he says, Wait a minute, guys, come close. They probably were scared to get close to him because now he's close. The Bible says hatom. It's, it's, Hebrew says it's the mouth, the edge, the mouth of the fire. Now he's getting up to that, up to the edge of the fire. And somebody asked me once uh, a theological question. Why would he come up to the edge of the fire where he knows it was killing people, it was sucking people in? The only rational re uh, answer I had was the guy wanted to be sucked in. The king sees something so unique, extravagant in that fire. He wanted to be a part of that. 
What does he see? The Bible tells us that he looks in. He calls his counselors. He says, didn't we throw three men into the fire? And the kings and the counselors says, King, you saw us. We throw three men in. And he looks around. And he says, how come I see four? And he says, the fourth is like the son of God. Man, I don't know about you. But he, he doesn't stop there. I want to get back to this. He doesn't stop there. He says, he, he begins to say, look, look, look. Now he's bringing the biggest flashlight. He's bringing the biggest spotlight in this universe. He's putting that, that spotlight on this fire. And he says, look, they're walking. They're loose. They're unshackled. They're unhurt. They're set free. I don't know about you. Yeah, give God the glory. He deserves it. Listen, I don't know about you. But for me, this is the kind of God I want. This is the kind of God I want to have a relationship with. A God that in, 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 in my minute intellect, I might not be able to grasp a fraction of a percentile of his being. But in that one minute percent of what I can consciously, cognitively understand of his being, this is the kind of God I want. God that would step down in his, I, I, I facetiously say this, is steps down from his busy schedule. And steps down and says, you know, I'm going to unshackle you. Because it says they were shackled. Not only that, it's he unshackles them, he sets them free. He has time to put a little bubble around them. So God, the Bible says they were walking in the fire. And not, not the Bible says, the king, the Bible quotes the king saying that. He has time to walk with them in the midst of the fiery furnace. I don't know about you, but this is the kind of God I want. It's another proof. He says, I will never leave you, nor will I forsake you. He says what he means. He means what he says. That's the kind of God that we have. Pastor, what does all this mean to me sitting in Youngstown in my own, in this, in this chair today, in the sanctuary or watching from home. What does this mean to me? It can mean whatever the Holy Spirit wants it to mean to your life. It can mean that you're not alone all the way, that, then God's only beginning in your life. You just have to be willing to acknowledge God for who He is. And rather than having one foot in the world and one foot in the Scriptures, you got to have both feet in the Scriptures. And say, God, I just want to trust in you. God, there's some things in my life that I need to let go. There's some addictions. There's some sins. There's some brokenness in my life. I need to stop doing it. I need to make the initiative. God, God blesses initiative, but I won't tell you this. You might not be successful at everything you do, but God blesses your initiative, that your heart, that you're turning after him. He blesses you for that. And he provides you with the ability to, to, to overcome the, the trials and tribulations that you go through. And in conclusion, he calls them out. He says, servants of the Most High God, come out. And he comes and brings them out. And, and he, now, he, again, he says, look, look, look. Now he's just like, again, he's like showcasing. He becomes like a showcase model. Go, look, 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 look. He begins to, to bring everything into light. And he rips up the old decree and writes up a new one. This new one says every man, woman, and child must bow down to, to, to only one true living, true God. And that one true living God is the, uh, is the God of these men. The God of Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego. Because he is a God that's there for his people. If God, if we believe God can do it for these three men, guess what? God is able to do it for you.
And, and if we believe that the God of the Old Testament is the God of the New Testament, then I know that he could do it for you. The question is, where is your heart? Their heart was in the right place. Even though they could, they could not understand it all. Because they said, even if he doesn't. Well, we're getting deep right now, all right? We don't have time for that, but to go into deeper into this, I mean. They say, even if he doesn't. So was that, was that a doubt? I, I don't think so. It's more of a challenge. But they kept the if. They're telling the king, even if you don't see us again after that fire, just know that he's got a bigger plan. That's the kind of God that we have. Question is, where's your heart? As I turn over to, to Pastor Juan and, and the leadership team here, I had a good time with you today. I had a great time having dinner last night. I, I believe uh, many of you today will never be the same. I believe many of you, as you are right now opening your heart, I believe God's already beginning to, re to respond to your requests. You have to be all in. You have to be all in. You have to say, God, I'm yours. I'm, and, and I will say no to the world. They said no to the world and yes to God. Look what happened. A revival broke. It's only the beginning. As I conclude and I turn it over to pastor, please come out to the table. I want to remind you again what you can do. Continue praying and giving to the Blessing Bethlehem Project. Because you're enabling the Jewish community to fulfill their calling. Amen. Give God the glory. Thank you, Pastor Juan, and thank you, Rabbi Wilicki, for that. Come out there and, and grab a... This is actually... This, there's one store. I forgot to mention this in the first newsletter. There's one store in here. Actually, I think it's become one of the most read stories in some of the persecution magazines around the world. There's a story in there that will touch your life. This is our, mag, our, our newsletter. It's called Holy Land Missions. Our ministry is a, is a 501c3. Um, Holy Amish, there's a story in there that will bless your life about a Muslim mother. I mean, it will bless you. Just you got to take this here. It's, this, this newsletter is free. This, grab, it's on the table. Please grab one. Um, in there, there is a, 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 an envelope card where you can pray to become a monthly praying and a monthly supporting partner. This here, because it's this the story in this magazine, Pastor, it, it's dedicated towards the evangelists that have suffered for the gospel. These are people that go out, build relationships to preach Jesus. <clears throat> and we don't have time to say everything, but there's been, they've, they've been beheaded. They've been stabbed to pieces, stabbed to death. We've had members get beaten up because they're sharing Jesus, passing out Bibles. We have in our church a mother that her daughters were shot to death for sharing the gospel. We, had a, we have a, a family in our church where their brother was uh, shot and stabbed into pieces in Gaza because of him managing a, 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 a house church movement. So these are the couple people that we're birthing and bringing out. So if you'd like to individually as a family, as a church, to, to partner with these martyred families, the persecuted families, um, you have an opportunity today. And, and I've, I've come here with the request of these suffering families. This is, in, uh, this is included and on, on, on part of the blessing Bethlehem, it, it's so side by side with it because this deals with specifically with evangelist martyrs or evangelists that have suffered for the gospel. Yeah, I brought a gift for, for, for those that say, Pastor, I want to partner on a monthly basis to pray monthly and support monthly with these uh, hurt, support a hurting family member. And I've come here today with a gift, not from me 
or from Rabbi Wuliki. This is from, the, from these families. They, they, they bought these. They said, Pastor, can you give these? This is a Dead Sea Scroll, miniature Dead Sea Scroll. There's only 1,500 of these left um, in Bethlehem, and we have these. Uh, for those that today sign up, you become monthly praying, monthly supporting partner. This is not for me. This is from them. You'll get this gift today. And if you want to take this home with you, the envelope and the newsletter, you can, you can write us later for that. But you can do that today. And you go home with a gift from these suffering believers to let them know that your pain, your suffering, your persecution is not in vain. There are people in Victory, in Youngstown, who care and who, who want to see you stand on your feet once again to be able to continue being overcomers, standing in the movement. You know, Pastor, I want to conclude with this. There is a movement today that are planning to eradicate Christianity. There's a movement today to, to eradicate Christianity from Jerusalem and Bethlehem. And they have actually said, they've actually said that the only people standing in their way are Holy Land missions and, and the curries. They've actually said this verbatim. It sounds nice to, in the kingdom of God, but in all perspectives, it means we just drew a bigger bullseye on our back, bigger target. And we're okay with that. We're happy with that. But we want you to, to take care of the mantle, to continue being bold for Jesus in your own place. Bold for Jesus in your own home. And bold for Jesus in your own finances. Because being a part of building God's kingdom requires sacrifice. Would you bow your heads with me as Pastor Juan comes up? Thank you, Pastor Corey. <clears throat> a couple things before we close and give every person here an opportunity to receive prayer. First of all, how many thank God for Pastor Stephen Corey? and his message today. Thank you, Pastor Corey. Thank you, Rabbi Wilicki. We love you. God bless you. They are gonna, they're going to go ahead and they're, they're going to sneak out so that they can be in the lobby waiting for you once you get dismissed here in just a moment. We're going to dismiss here in just a minute. A couple things. First of all, want to remind you that this year our Christmas offering a good portion of that is going to be going towards blessing Bethlehem. And so we want you to begin to pray as to what, what, you would, what God would have you to do in terms of the Christmas offering that we'll receive this year during that week of Christmas, Christmas Eve, and, and, that, and that Sunday. And so we, we do want to partner again. Second thing I want to share, and just lean in a little bit. I have friends like Pastor Stephen Corey, many of them around the world, and as a church, we want to be able to say, we partner with you. It's done. Listen to me. But we can't. We can't. And the reason we can't is because on average, on average, people that attend this campus, on average, give $3.64 to missions a week per person. Now, I realize that some of you give a lot more than that weekly. It's my family and I do. But when you tally it all out, we are not giving enough to Victory Compassion Ministries so that when we hear Pastor Corey, now we're meeting the needs that we've committed to. Those are being met. But we're not able to say, hey, we'll pick you up and we'll, we'll support you too. We can't do that unless we allow God to grab our heart and say, God, I would do more than just $3.64 a week. I'll do a little bit more than that. That's not, even, that's not even a Starbucks drink. 
I know the prices of Starbucks. A grande caramel macchiato is $3.95. And so the challenge for us is, Lord, what would you have me to do to give over and above our tithes to Victory Compassion Ministries? Because when I do, when a pastor, Stephen Corey, and others like him come and say, hey, would you partner with us? We can say, you've got it. We're there. Here's what God is doing around the world. Listen. In Jerusalem, they have a church in Bethlehem in Jerusalem, and they also have underground churches in different parts um, of Israel. I'll stop, I'll stop there. But they had been kicked out of their church um, in Jerusalem from uh, the Muslim majority that are there. They've been kicked out of their church now, I think, three or four times. The only way for them to not get kicked out and pushed around anymore is to buy property, is to buy a piece of property. They have raised between 60 to 70% of the money needed to buy this building, to buy the property. A church in Lagos, Africa, has put up a million dollars and said, we will match... We will match dollar for dollar up to a million dollars for what comes in to finish the purchase. This is a church in a nation in the continent of Africa, which is amazing. Anyways, I say that to say it is my passion, it is my heart to see this church get involved in God's business of reaching people with the gospel of Jesus Christ because when you get involved in God's business, God gets involved in your business and in your home and in your church. When you do what God is, is God called us, to, called us to do, he will bless your church. He will bless your home. He will bless your finances. So just consider that. Would you please consider those two things? To be praying about the Christmas offering, what God will have you to do, and to give to Victory Compassion Ministries so that we can partner with ministries like the Corys and others like them. So here's what we're going to do. I want all of us right now to stand to our feet. I want those of you that help us to pray, would you come down right now? And as you're standing and as our prayer team is coming, if you can give me your attention for 30 more seconds, just look at me. You've heard Pastor Corey, and some of you are here today and your heart is stirred. And you feel like you almost want to recommit your life to God and and say, God, God, I, I, want, I want to recommit my life to you. I see what others have to, the, the price that others have to pay to follow you, Jesus. And so, Lord, I, I, I want to I I recommit my life to you. If that's you, we want to pray for you. Or maybe like Pastor Corey said, there's an area in your life that's like a furnace. There's something in your life that's troubling you. It's something that you're, maybe it's your health, maybe it's your finances, maybe it's your home, your marriage, your family, your work. And you want somebody to pray with you. Well, we want to pray with you. So before you leave, after this blessing, we want to pray for you. You don't have to be a member of Victory Christian Center to receive prayer. You don't have to be a bad person to receive prayer. We all need prayer. I need prayer. You need prayer. So if you're here today and you need prayer for any reason before you leave here today, you just come forward after this blessing 
and somebody on this team will pray with you. And then after that, you can go and get your kids, and then you can go meet Pastor Corey and Rabbi Wolicki and get your book and all of that. But if you need prayer for any reason, we want to pray for you today. So keep your eyes open as we bless you today. Friends and family of Victory Christian Center, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. May he who neither slumber nor sleeps keep you in all of your ways, physically, emotionally, spiritually, financially, relationally. May the God that knows you by name, may the God that knows the number of hairs on your head, may you know this God deeply and personally. May you know him as the God of the mountaintop experiences and know him as the God of the valley and the furnace experiences in your life. And may you make him known to others around you. And as you leave here today, may you go with God's peace, God's strength, God's favor, and God's blessing. Go in Jesus' name and be light. Amen and amen. We love you. God bless you. Come, if you need prayer for any reason, we want to pray for you today. God bless you.